All right, let me um, turn your attention to John chapter uh, 10. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 21. So it's John 10, 11 through 21. And there's a challenge with these long discourses of John. So at the risk of sounding like I'm feeling sorry for myself before I, I ever get started, you know, in John you see these, uh, these long sections where there's an event and discourse, he's talking, Jesus is explaining himself together. And whenever you put those together as a guy who preaches, you kind of want to do them all in one chunk. The problem is, uh, you know, because those thoughts and the themes uh, weave into each other. The problem is, is because they're long, you tend to kind of want to break them up uh, so that you can pay particular attention to uh, some important features of it. And what we've done is we've uh, broken it into sections, but we, we need to remember this, this kicks off with Jesus healing the blind man, man born blind. And, um, you know, he's, what he's letting us know is that it's his touch that can make you see, that can make you see spiritually. And then he enters this discourse where he talks about sheep and shepherds and pens and that sort of thing. And um, he, he, he reminds, and this is what we focused on last week, is that he's the door through which a person enters into the kingdom of God, the flock of God. And this week, he's going to talk about how he's the good shepherd, okay? And so he's extending that, and he's continuing in that, and that's, that's where we're uh, beginning this morning. And I, I got to thinking that, you know, out of all the animals Jesus could have picked, he picked sheep. It's the, you know, it makes sense to some degree. It was familiar to them, but it also makes she, a sense because sheep gather and they're shepherded. And, you know, I was thinking about other possibilities, and it's like sheep make sense. Cats, you know, don't make sense, right? And, you know, I'm on the record. I don't like cats. And, I mean, there are people, every time you say that, there are people like, oh, man, I doesn't like cats. And, you know, you judge me. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, because, you know, I've thought a lot about it. And uh, I don't think it's me. I think it's them. And then I think, you know, the, the cat owners, uh, and maybe it's like the cat owners, because cat owners always, have you noticed, like cat-loving people accommodate their cats. They see their character flaws, but they think they're adorable. You know, they, they say these things like, uh, you know, she's just a little cranky drama mama, you know, and stuff like that. It's ridiculous the way they're... Um, you know, a little high maintenance, and they think it's adorable. You know, it made me think, what if a generation of people raise their kids like you raise your cats? And then I got to thinking, that's probably another talk. Uh, <laughs> but there is an exception to that. I had a cat when I was in high school, a guy by the name of Mr. Yellow. We called him Mr. Yellow because he was yellow, right? But he was a tom, he was a fighter, he was a warrior, he was a mouser, he served a function. I always just thought that he sounded like, there's this old Presbyterian preacher I just love. He sounds like, this, guy, this guy's name was uh, James Montgomery Boyce. Really intellectual guy, but he always sounded like a marine instructor after PT, drinking coffee and smoking a cigar. And I always thought that that's the way Mr. Yellow would sound. Like, you know, good to see you, right? You know, that kind of thing. But, you know, there he, like Mr. Yellow, served a function. I just wanted to let you know, 
I'm not just anti-cat for the sake of anti-cat. I'm not a monster, right? But cat lovers, you know, your cat comes up and he purrs next to you. And you go, see, she loves me. And I go, what that cat is telling you is, if in the unlikely event that we swap size, you're what I'm having for cat Thanksgiving, okay? I'm going to drag you away, and you're going to taste delicious. Uh, but, so, but sheep are, sheep are different. All right, I hear the protests. I, like, I, I get it. I know you think you're right, uh, but, but sheep are different. I, I saw this video, I'm sure some of you have seen this, where there's, a, there's this long irrigation ditch, and it's not very wide. I think it's an irrigation ditch. It's not very wide, but it's deep. And uh, it, this, it just starts, the video starts with this sheep stuck in there, it pinned in from the sides of this irrigation ditch, but, you know, it's too deep that the can't get traction and get itself out. And there's this guy, he's got it by the back leg, and after, you know, he's pulling on it and struggling, and after, uh, you know, like a long series of pulling and struggling, and you can see the irrigation ditch just winding, and it's dry at the time, and so he pulls, finally he pulls the sheep out, and the sheep just like you see this bounce, 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 joy, bounce, and then right back into the irrigation ditch. (laughs) And I go... Well, that's me. And I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and I go, and that's you too. And we're people who need shepherding. And when Jesus announces himself as this very intuitive, announces himself as the good shepherd, if you know anything about sheep, that resonates with you, right? Um, Somebody who needs watching over, somebody who needs care. So let's read God's word together. John 10, verses 11 through 21. Jesus is speaking, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. So in this passage, it begins with, and this is what you'll see in your handout, it begins with this comparison between the good shepherd and a hired hand. And the critical scenario in verse 12 is the wolf coming. All right, There's, you've got a flock of sheep and you've got people working around this flock of sheep. But the critical scenario, the, this, this critical, uh, it's the pressure point. It's when the wolf comes. 
Now, I grew up in an area where people had livestock, including sheep, and, you know, in the area I was in, it's less wolves, more coyotes. And what people tended to do is they had a plan with sheep or smaller livestock. They had a plan with coyotes to where they would hunt them. They would try to figure out how to, you know, keep them away from their flock to protect them. So, you know, like one, for example, one family I knew ran greyhounds uh, to chase coyotes and that sort of stuff because those coyotes were such big threats. But what he's talking about is a common threat. It's a common sense threat too, right? You have a flock, they're vulnerable, and if, if a wolf comes, the sheep don't stand a chance. And on the one hand, you think about the hired hand. In verses 11 through 13, right? It's just a job. So in verse 12, he says, well, he does not own the sheep. Verse 13, he doesn't care about the sheep. Uh, but to me, it's just a job, right? You show up to your job, uh, you may not think that it's worth your everything. You may be committed to it, you may love it, you may do a good job, but you may not think that it's, you know, everything to you. From appearances, though, if you think about the hired hand, he probably doesn't look very much different than the shepherd. And probably what they do and how they appear and all that stuff probably looks very similar to the shepherd. It's when the wolf comes for the sheep that you can really tell the difference. When the wolf comes, then you've got a drastically different response. The hired hand, he deserts the sheep. You know, he, he runs away in very brave fashion. Um, because at this moment, what he's thinking is whenever the sheep come, or when the wolf comes, he goes, obviously, this is not worth it. And so he leaves. I mean, you can relate. Maybe you like your job, but at a certain limit, uh, at a certain point, you, you have a limit, right? And you think to yourself, but it's not worth this. You know, if the danger is too great, if the pay is too low, uh, if the abuse you take at work is too much, whatever that might be, you might love your job, you might really be committed to it, you might have a lot of passion toward it, but there, there's probably a line there somewhere where you just go, like, it's not worth it. And all Jesus is describing here is somebody who's taken on a job, and maybe he's otherwise doing a good job, but when the danger gets high enough, he just goes, it's not worth it. And, and so the outcome is exactly what you would expect with the hired hand, right? There's uh, no protection for the sheep when the wolf comes. Some are snatched and killed, and others are scattered and exposed. But with the good shepherd, it's the opposite. The, the, the hired hand lets the sheep die so he can live. The good shepherd does the opposite. He lays down his life, he says. He, he saves the sheep by putting his life between them and the threat. The wolf. I just want you to think about it. Probably the most practical question you might think of is, who would do that? They're just sheep. All right? Who puts his life in between the sheep and the wolf? They're just sheep. Exactly. Exactly. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's talking about a standard that goes beyond what they would see in their normal experiences, right? So what he does here is he identifies himself in this metaphor, this analogy. God's people are a flock like sheep, and then there are shepherds, and it's very familiar to them in the Old Testament and that sort of thing. You know, the, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. So this is grabbable for them. They relate to it. And what Jesus is saying here is, I 
in that good shepherd. There's, she, there's sheep and, and the wolf, and when the wolf comes, some run. But I don't run. Uh, I'm the good shepherd, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I put myself between the threat and those who are mine. I lay down my life. I will die so that they can live. That's the first part, this comparison between the hired hand and the good shepherd. The good shepherd does everything, lays it all out. The second part is how Jesus talks about how he, Jesus, is our good shepherd. Verses 14 through 18, now remember, he's already talked about this. He, after healing the, uh, the blind man at the beginning of chapter 10, he, he uses this, what John calls a figure of speech. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, a stranger they will not follow. So he's already talked about that, and here he comes back to it in verse 11, I am that, I am the good shepherd. Verse 14, second time, he identifies himself as that in this metaphor slash analogy. Few theological highlights that are worth. Have you ever thought, where, where do we get our understanding of God? How do we know about God? How are we supposed to, you know, process all that? Well, it's from His Word. You have things like this that give us more than just a little sense of who God is. For example, there is perfect collaboration among the Godhead. Right? You can see it, for example, in verses. 17 and 18, Jesus says, the Father, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life and take it up again. And then in verse 18, he talks about how he has the authority to do it. He does it of his own accord, and he's doing this out of the charge, right? The instruction that the Father's given him. There's this perfect collaboration. What is going to happen and what Jesus is all about is an absolute perfect agreement between he and the Father. There's mutual joy in the Godhead. You know, they didn't like Rochambeau to see who does what. They didn't like draw straws to figure out who's got what role in the relationship. They know each other perfectly. Verse 14, Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me. And then there's this analogy, this comparison. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Right? There's this connection uh, there. It talks about the Father loving him. Um, because of what he's done. They know each other perfectly. They love and celebrate each other in the relationship. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus says and how we tend to hear that in a fallen world. When Jesus says, I obey my Father. And we tend to think, is that kind of a bad word? Kind of an offensive word? Well, it depends on the relationship. It's a fallen world. In a, if, if, it's, if you're obeying something evil and you're selling yourself out to something evil well that's, and, and, and it's demeaning, well, that's bad. If it's good, uh, then, there's, then there's something noble about it and you see flourishing about it, out of it. But here, what you see is this perfect relationship, the Father in His perfection, the Son in His perfection, and obedience isn't some perverse and demeaning feature of a dysfunctional relationship where there's perfection. What you don't want to do is you don't want to let the distortions of the good ruin the good for you. 
I mean, Jesus isn't acting out of some uh, kind of dysfunctional relationship here. This is, uh, you know, not a conditional love. When Jesus says, my father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep, what do you hear in a fallen world? Well, you only love me because. What he's saying here is there's no doubt that Jesus is going to obey his father. And what the father is doing is celebrating Jesus in his goodness and in his perfections. He's celebrating the son. The Father's love at Jesus' obedience is a relational celebration of Jesus' goodness and perfection. Shown as glory, right? So you've got this perfect collaboration, mutual joy in the Godhead, and it's out of they know each other. They celebrate each other. And it's out of that connection that they have with each other and out of that joy that they share with each other that you are invited in. Um, they call you into it. Think about this. Uh, you know, it's a longer story than I could get into, but the way Kara and I, my wife and I, uh, got our kids, the way the Lord blessed us with our kids was adoption. And in the very best version of adoption, see these parents, they, they pray and they plan and they love and they sacrifice. And... Uh, bring this child into your home and they permanently become part of your world, part of your life. Um, it's like you say to your, your kid, like, listen, I, I mean, I know you didn't have a choice in this, right? Uh, you, got, you got drafted in. But uh, you belong to us now. You're part of us now. And there's nothing that can change that. You're, you're in our world. You're in our family. You're connected to us. This is where you belong. And your inclusion into the family of God is like that, but there's a greater deficit there. You, there's an offense because of your sin, and God addresses this. this, there's this it took a radical act of sacrifice that was motivated by love and joy, and because that's its nature, salvation can come to you only by grace. It's out of what the, the Father and the Son perfectly collaborate with each other before time out of joy and celebrating each other, but also extending love to you that they call you in to belong and to share in what is theirs. Um, it's a beautiful picture. But if you want to get a sense of what God is like and you think about theology proper, there's, you can do that in the abstract. But don't do that in the abstract to the point that you miss the person of God and the heart of God. All right. Anyway, how is it that Jesus... Uh, is your good shepherd if you are his? You can see three ways. How is it that it's Jesus? Uh, number one is belonging. Now, in a world where there are a lot of people, but you can be so alone in a crowd, uh, it's like Jesus knows something about human nature here. Look at verses 14 and 15. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. You see this no, no, like... I know my own, Jesus says, just as, and they know me, we have a kind of relationship that is just like the kind of relationship that I have with the Father, God the Father. There's this connection that's so strong and unbreakable and, unbreakable and shared that it's just like the relationship I have with my Father. So he uses these examples that we think of 
in familiar relationships where you know the person's name, you call them by name, you recognize their voice, you respond to that. There's connection. You know the person. You know that's where you belong. So that's a way. How, do, how does sheep know where they belong? They hear the voice of the shepherd and they respond to the shepherd. Um, the second one is bringing. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, uh, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now note, it's not everyone who comes into the fold of God, right? Not everybody comes in. Some are brought in, but uh, others are not. They neither see nor hear the good shepherd as their shepherd. Look ahead to verse 26. Jesus is talking to some people and he says, but you do not believe because you were not part of my flock. Listen, if you, you, you're brought in, some are brought in, but some are not. Some don't hear and see him as shepherd. Note also, who does the bringing? Verse 16, I must bring them also. Who does the bringing in verse 16? Well, what does that tell you about your salvation? You know, you don't see a lot of sheep walking around going, I'm going to adopt you as my shepherd. Just not the way it works. Um, also note that there are other sheep from other folds, but all come under one shepherd. When Jesus says, also, I must bring them also, he means in addition to those of this fold. So he's looking at these people, this group of people, and he says, y'all are not everyone. What does he mean by that? Well, he's speaking to a, a Jewish audience there. And he says something that would be stunning to them. We tend to take it for granted, but it would be stunning to them. Y'all aren't everyone. This is not a, uh, a Jewish-only invitation. I'm going to bring others outside of this fold, Gentiles, and they're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to know me as shepherd as well. They're mine. And he says, they're all going to, there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. One, this one-flockness is a defining feature. Uh, we I think, it's, I think it tends to be worse in the U.S., maybe in, in, in Western civilization broadly, I'm not sure. But I think we sort of carve out these, these ways that we assume that real church ought to look like or that real Christianity ought to look like, and we, we lose principles for form. And it's as though Jesus is saying, like, listen, there are lots of there, there are sheep of different color. There are sheep that smell a little different. Their, their demographics are different. They, uh, their, their form is different. From all different walks. How are you going to know them? Well, you're going to know them by their shepherd. Not necessarily the outside, the forms, right? Like, so in other words, you could say, here are these sheep and they like high church. You know, these sheep like organ music and, and robes and bells and smells and all of that. And then you've got these other sheep over here, and uh, they, they play spoons, you know. If you've ever grown up with some of that on, uh, you know, in more country-type uh, areas. And we tend to make much out of these outward expressions of it. It's funny that we do that, I think, in the U.S. I was talking to some friends about this recently. And we do this in the U.S. where we want to include everything biblical in a worship service that takes one hour, right? You know, there are other cultures that they gather on a Sunday and they do it for long periods of time. 
And so all of those principles and elements that you see in Scripture, I mean, they're not looking at the clock like, all right, and I got, I got this today. You know, there were, there's more than one person who saw the handout and said, oh, short sermon today. <laughs> it was like, challenge accepted, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, how do you know who really belongs to Jesus? You know them by Jesus. You know the sheep by their shepherd, this one flockness. It's not so much the form. You have your preference maybe for high church or low church or formality or informality. Who cares? I mean, I've got preferences too. Some of that's driven actually by the, lo- the giftedness in a local congregation. Uh, it's not the form, it's the call. It's all from one shepherd with the same call, with the same voice, the same bringing. If If you're in, it's because he gathered you in, bringing. So there's belonging, and how did you get there? He brought you. You you know to whom you belong. And then third, saving. At the end of verse 15, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And like I said, is it possible that being a shepherd was dangerous work? Sure. Sure. Uh, would you take great risk to, uh, to save your profit? Uh, maybe even out of affection for the sheep. Sure, probably, maybe some. But when they hear this, they think of this stunning standard. And what Jesus does is he inserts himself in this picture. There's a flock, it's God's flock. And there's a shepherd, it's not your ordinary priest or king. It's me, I am the good shepherd, and I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. And between verses 11 to the end, he says this five times. I'm going to lay down my life for you. You know how you're going to live? You're going to live by me dying. There's a bullet coming for you, and you're going to live because I'm going to take the bullet for you. Your guilt and shame... And everybody walks into this room and you've got your share of it, your share of disappointment in yourself, your share of guilt and shame and brokenness. And what Jesus does on the cross is what he's pointing to, laying down my life, is the bearing of that guilt and shame. Their sacrifice here is what he's talking about. His life is offered for them. He says it five times. It's not an accident, but the plan. This charge I've received from my Father, I have the authority to lay down my life and take it uh, up again, so there's charge and authority, but he announces it, as, announces it as the way to victory. Laying down his life is pointing to the cross, and taking it up again is pointing to the resurrection. You want to see this a little bit. There's an early sign in John called baptism, where they go into the water, and, and they're immersed into the water, and they come out. It's a picture of, of resurrection and new life. And then Jesus is talking about it here. Right? I'm, I'm going to lay down my life, but I'm going to take it up again. Resurrection and new life. And this is going to be shared. And then right after this, there's going to be Lazarus. And Lazarus is going to die, and he's going to raise him. And then you're going to see it in Jesus himself. I don't just have the authority to lay down my life. I'm going to take it up again. There's going to be, uh, this is going to be the way to victory. All right, and then this passage, so let's go to the third thing. This passage ends with... Uh, talking about their divided opinions. This is not the first time this has happened. In verse 19, it says, there was again a divided uh, division among the Jews because of these words. 
They hear what Jesus is saying, and they're not all on the same page. So again, if you were to pop up to verse 16 of chapter 9, it says, and there was a division among them. They keep seeing and seeing what Jesus does and hearing what he says, and they're not on the same, they, they're not on the same page. They don't know exactly what to think about it. Every once in a while, this is a good, worthwhile intellectual exercise. If you heard what Jesus said here, what would you think about it? Jesus extends himself to you. He asserts himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, his own know his voice. And they, they respond to him. What would you make of it? Well, here, John's recording it for us, and he says they're divided. Right now, they won't believe in Jesus at this point. So that's where they're together. They won't believe in Jesus. But the first group says, we won't believe in Jesus, so we're just going to dismiss him. Verse 20, many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? There's no need, so they dismiss him, no need to take him seriously. It's probably synonymous to say he has a demon, he's insane, he's crazy, he's out of his mind. All of this has been the lippiness, the grand assertions of a crazy nobody trying to fool people into thinking he's an important somebody. It's a canard. It's, you know, false report, misinformation in the face of the evidence before them. This is the kind of thing you say when you don't have anything to say. You know, like you're presented with this evidence and you look at it and you don't want to accept it and you just go, you're crazy. And so that's what they do. They just dismiss him. There's another group, though. They won't believe in Jesus, but they can't dismiss him. Look at verse 21. Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And they hear this, like they just, this group of people goes, ah, don't worry about him, he's crazy. And they go, no way. Listen to what he says, he's not crazy. It's, it's not like he's telling a children's story about shepherds and then starts eating his beard and calling it macaroni and then shouts out, you know, get these squirrels off of me. These are not the words of a madman, right? This is not the incoherent babble of a crazy person, uh, a demon-oppressed person. This is somebody who's asserting somebody, asserting himself as somebody based on what he says is based on what he's done. You listen to what he says, but also look at what he's done. You're going to dismiss him? He just healed a guy who was born blind, who literally nobody else in the universe could help. You don't chalk that up to luck. You have to know what to do with this guy. That's what they're saying. Hmm. You do have to know what to do with this guy. You look at John 9 and 10, and we're not done with 10, obviously. But as we wrap up, it shows you what... And I hope this is you, and if it's not, I hope you uh, hear the proclamation of Jesus through his word, that he's the one who lays down his life. Anybody who enters by him uh, is saved. But it shows you what happens when you come into God's people. It's a theme, a uh, central theme in, in John 9 and 10. So there's this image, the eyes are opened. And why are eyes open? What does that mean? So you can see, so you can see what really is there. And the eyes are open to see Jesus as God the Son and a Savior. And then ears are opened uh, to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and to come to Him and follow Him. And then you know who you are because you know to whom you belong. So a central theme in John 9 and 10 is that someone who belongs to God's flock 
is someone whose eyes and ears have been opened. And then they're able to recognize Jesus as the good shepherd. So they see him for who he is. They hear his call in the gospel proclamation, and they just say it's visceral. It's a recognition. Yes, he's mine. That's my Savior. It's my shepherd. So I'm going to go to him because he's home. He's where I belong. And so I'll leave you with these words. In verses 25 through 28, it says, And Jesus answered them, and they're Two kinds of people he's describing. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe. Why? Because you are not part of my flock. My sheep, this is the other group, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So when Jesus says this, here's the question. What is it that you hear? Because the shepherd speaks. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful uh, for your grace in the gospel. That though we didn't deserve it, couldn't. We had no merit before you, no standing before you. Jesus came and identified with us to such a degree that he became one of us, God the Son became one of us, to stand in our place and to bear what was ours so that we could bear what is his. To take our sin so that we could bear his righteousness and standing all by grace, all as a gift from you. What a great Savior. What a great God you are. And as you celebrate uh, your people celebrate with you how good you are, how great a Savior Jesus is. God, we pray for the grace to walk in that, uh, to live as light in a dark world. And we pray that we would radiate the kind of love that you've shared with us to the world who desperately needs Jesus so that they would see the light, they would hear the voice of, this, uh, of, the, sa- of the shepherd, the Savior, and respond. God, would you be glorified Would you be glorified in your word being proclaimed? Would you be glorified in our lives reflecting the truth of that? And, uh, you know, as as we live and walk in our respective worlds, at work and at home, uh, may Jesus be glorified in it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.